I just want to say how um, <clears throat> how thankful I am for that message. Um, that was a beautiful discourse about the interaction. This is my summary of that of uh, the interaction between knowledge and faith. And you know, we see some people who have you know different aspects of those at different times. Um, so. You know, they had they had some knowledge, but they didn't have the faith to mesh with it. But there's other people who have faith, but they don't have the knowledge to mesh with it. And and that's a, a beautiful synergy when that when that hits. In Matthew chapter thirteen, Jesus is talking in parables, and the disciples asked him, "Why are you talking in parables?" And he's saying that it's uh, I'm actually doing it for the purpose of concealing this. To some people. And in the middle of that, he says in verse 16 of Matthew 13, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. I hope you realize how blessed we are today. I, and if. And if you and if you don't, then you if your heart doesn't burn within you <laughs> uh, when you hear the, the message of the gospel, I tell you, there's a lot of prophets and righteous men that desired to hear that for a long time that didn't know the full expanse of the gospel. They got to heaven and and we get we get God inspired his word for us and, and we get to hear it preached. And he even lets me try to preach it. <laughs> I mean, God is just, uh, God's great. And, and I just hope that you realize what, what a privilege we have to have some eyes that can see, some ears that can hear. And the only reason we have that is by, it's by the grace of God and nature he's placed in us. I want to go back to Second Chronicles and... Look at chapters 34 and 35. I understand this is an afternoon service. And uh, you pray that I can do my best to be concise. This is definitely going to have to be the Cliff Notes version of this, uh, of this message. Um, but we looked at Manasseh. And Manasseh lived a very ungodly life for a very... And I will also add, uh, we don't have any... He reigned for 55 years, and we don't have any date benchmarks of when that repentance occurred. But it seems to me that it was probably later on in that 55 years. Um, so they lived a very long period of time under very ungodly conditions. And he passes away, and his son Ammon takes uh, the control there in Judah. And he essentially just did what Manasseh did to what Hezekiah did. He, he just tore down all the positive things that he did. Um, so, so you have Manasseh and his, and his repentance, and then you have Ammon, and he, and I'll say, we're going to look at Josiah, the, the life of Josiah and the revival during his time. But when we look at Manasseh, what he did at the end of his life, uh, Ammon was was really busy in just two years to make as big of a mess <laughs> as he did for the things that Josiah had to clean up. I mean, he uh, in two years he did a, a bunch of stuff. Um, 
to, uh, to really mess up what his dad tried to fix. Now, in Josiah's, <coughs> Josiah's reign, and Ammon's so bad, by the way, at the end of chapter 35, 33 there in 2 Chronicles, his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house, and the people of the land slew all of them that conspired against, against Ammon. He was such a bad king that the, the folks just uh, killed him. And then they uh, put in control his eight-year-old son, Josiah, eight years old. Okay, these dates are important. Stay with me. These dates are important in the life of Josiah as he takes the reign at age eight years of age. Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 1. And he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the, to the right hand nor to the left. That's a very impressive commendation from the Holy Spirit, uh, that he uh, did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and, and he followed the Lord as David his father did, and didn't decline to the, to the right or to the left. And then <clears throat> in verse 3, in the eighth year, of his reign while he was yet young. So it was the eighth year. So he's 16 this time. Okay. And he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And the 12th year, 12th year. So now he's 20 to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high in the groves and the carved images, and he break them in pieces, and he ground them to dust, and he burnt the bones of the priest upon the altars and cleansed all of Judah. And verse 7, he broke down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and uh, cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, and he returned to Jerusalem. Now, he takes the reign at age eight. In age 16, we're told that he begins to seek the Lord. And at age 20, he takes down all these graven images and he's, he's purging out some, some things that uh, were unsavory and certainly shouldn't be uh, found among the people of God. And a very interesting anecdote to this is that in the 13th year of Josiah, we know from the first chapter of Jeremiah, that that is when Jeremiah began to prophesy. Okay? So that's in his 13th year, so that's at age 21. And then it's going to be in the 18th year, at age 26, that he begins to see the very fervent revival uh, that Josiah leads. And it says at age 16 that he began to seek the Lord. And sometimes maybe we uh, don't give some of the younger disciples quite as much credit as we ought. Because you can do a lot in service to the Lord in 26 and under <laughs> from, from Josiah's benchmarks, so to say. And it's at age 20, being the leader of these people, that he begins to take down all these, all these graven images. 
And there's a reason why we have all these admonitions in Scripture to seek the, the Lord in the days of your youth, as, as a, uh, where the evil days are drawn out nigh and such. Um, and, and there's a lot that, that is to be done in the kingdom of God for young people. Amen. And to have a healthy body, you need people of all age groups. You need, you need young people, but you need aged people to mentor, mentor the young people. We see that in Titus chapter 2 with aged women and aged men. So it certainly takes uh, a diverse group to have a, have a healthy body. But I want you to notice the fervency that this young man at age 20 is leading this uh, societal uh, revival, not quite as fervent as he starts in age 26. But what we're going to find is in his 18th year in age 26, they find the word of God in the temple and he begins to apply that word of God. But what's so interesting to me about that is that that tells me that he doesn't yet know the word of God. Prior to age 26, he does not yet know exactly what it says in God's word about what he ought to be doing. So this, this changes that he's making at age 20, this is just due to his internal moral convictions of being a child of God and saying, this is something that ought not be done and, and I need to change it. But he doesn't yet even know the knowledge of the precision of what the word of God tells him he needs to be doing. So he is, he's making changes just on his internal convictions. And he doesn't even yet know precisely what the word of God is telling him to do yet. And that's so interesting to me because there's a lot of people that I believe only get in this first little mini revival because they're not using the word of God as the pattern for their change. And what we want to really focus on is the characteristics of true revival that we see exhibited in the life of Josiah. Okay. And I want to, I want to notice first of all, that there is an internal conviction and an internal uh, compass that the Holy Spirit tells us that certain things are wrong. We see that in Titus, uh, I think it's Titus chapter 2, where he says that the word of God, uh, the grace of God's appeared to all men. And it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. The Holy Spirit tells you that you don't need to be worshiping some other false god. Right. Uh, just internally, the Holy Spirit tells you that. And Josiah made some changes just based on that internal Holy Spirit conviction. But he really revved it up when he understand the word, the word of God. And another thing that's very interesting about that is this is, again, his 18th year when he makes this, uh, this uh, really fervent revival change. Jeremiah has been prophesying for five years already. So it's not like he hasn't heard about it. It's not like he, he, he's in total ignorance. I mean, that's, that's what the prophet said. Thus saith the Lord, repent. You know, I mean, it's a pretty consistent theme in the Old Testament. And he'd, he'd been hearing Jeremiah prophesy for five years, but it didn't click fully because he didn't have the, the pattern to match it up by. And, and that's what brother Dan was talking about, about the knowledge where does that knowledge come from? It comes from the Word of God and revival. This is the main point. 
There's a lot of sub points, but this is the main point that I want you to understand about the revival in Josiah's day. It's centered around the word of God fully. Okay. And their adherence to the standard and the authority and the dictates of God's word. And if we, if we're praying for revival and we ought to, we ought to. It starts with the Word of God. Okay? And every change that Josiah implements going forward is based on his knowledge and his understanding of the authority of God's Word. Okay? So in the 18th year, he begins to purge out the land in the house and he tells some guys to go <coughs> repair the house of the Lord. And in the midst of them doing that, in verse 14, they brought the money to the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah takes that to Shaphan, and Shaphan takes it to the king. And in verse 16, they brought the word, the, the, the king word back again, saying all that was committed to thy service, they do. We took care of repairing the temple and the money that, that you uh, uh, called upon us to do. And they've gathered together the money that was found in the house of God and delivered it to the hand of the overseers. And then Shaphan, the, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king tells them to go get a prophetess or go find someone. They find a prophetess to go inquire of the Lord for me in verse 21. And for them that are left in Israel concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of God that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord, to do after all that is written in this book. Now, they didn't have the entire Old Testament yet. They didn't have all these minor prophets and, and such, at least not all in one collection. So what was he reading? He was reading uh, the law. He was reading the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And when you read that, you know, the Lord <laughs> yeah, the Lord never leaves his people in ignorance. And he told them exactly, look, if you do this, you know, if you, if you worship false gods, then I'm going to light you up. I mean, I, I'm going to, you know, just drop the hammer on you. And Josiah is hearing this and he's read, he's hearing something from Deuteronomy or, or Deuteronomy or Leviticus. And it says, about, you know, witchcraft and sodomy and all this false images and all these things. And, he, and it says, this is, if you do this, this is what I'm going to do to you. And he's like, oh my goodness, we're doing all this. This is, this is exactly what we're doing. <laughs> and he's like, whoa. <laughs> because because that's, a, that's an if-then statement, right? If you do this, then this is coming. And, and he had enough authority for the word of, uh, enough respect to the word of God to say, look, the van's coming. <laughs> you know? I mean, clearly we're doing this. Okay. And the Lord is, he's going to honor his word. I mean, he shall not be mocked when we disobey his word. And he's, 
I mean, he, he's tearing his clothes off. I mean, he's distraught, and he ought to be. He ought to be because he has looked at the standard of God's word, and he saw himself and the people of God as not meeting that standard, and he saw himself in the proper place of God's condemnation. And he said, he said, we got to find somebody to go inquire of the Lord for us. We got, we got to go find somebody that knows the Lord pretty well that can talk to him and beg for mercy. <laughs> I mean, look what we're, I mean, we're doing all of this stuff. This is what the Lord said he's going to do to us if we do this stuff. And we need to just pray the Lord's going to be merciful and not, not, not do this. They found the word of God in the house of God. Right? But Josiah shows this personal devotion and personal repentance, first of all. Okay? And the song that we sing, Revive Us Again. One of the lines in that song is, Lord, send a revival, but start the work in me. Okay? It starts, if it's going to spread to other people societal, national, church-wise, it starts individually with your conviction to what? First of all, the standard of God's Word. The standard to say this is what is right, and if I am in disobedience to that, then God is right to judge me, and I need to conform my ways to the Word of God. It is your, your submission to the authority of God's word. And when you are not in compliance with the authority of God's word, your repentance to get in line with God's word. Okay. And that starts individually, individually by your heart burning within you. (laughs) When you hear that and the Holy spirit convicts you individually. Now they go and they petition this prophetess she answers them in verse 23 thus saith the lord god of israel tell you the man that sent you to me behold i will i will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof even all the curses that are written in the book that they have heard before the king because they have forsaken me they have burned incense on other gods they that they provoke me to anger with the works of their hands excuse me therefore my Wrath shall be poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched. But for the king of Judah, who sent to you to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before thy God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I even have heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers. Thou shalt be gathered to thy place in peace, and neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. And so brought the and so they brought the word, the, the king word again. Those if then statements that you read in Leviticus, I'm gonna honor those. Because you have disobeyed my word. But because of your repentance and humility, I will stay that judgment during your lifetime. 
I want you to notice the characteristics of Josiah's sincere, personal, fervent repentance in verse 27. Because thine heart was tender. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, there were some devout Jews that had their hearts pricked. And their hearts were pricked because their heart had been tendered by Almighty God. You know, the message of the gospel and the word of God has, has no bearing on the world at large. It's foolishness. But for those that have a tender heart, it should prick that tender heart. And he said, because thine heart was tender. And I'll tell you, the Lord can make your heart tender and you can harden it yourself too. Okay. So you've allowed your heart to be tender. And now you humbled yourself before the Lord. In the Old Testament, we have this depiction of sackcloth and ashes. And thank goodness we don't have to go out and <laughs> put on some sackcloth and throw some ashes on us now nowadays. But really what that, I think, was depicting is, is a, an external expression through your actions of the condition of repentance and you abhorring yourself that should have been reflected in your heart. So you're, you're doing, you're trying to reflect by your actions and by your raiment, the true condition of your heart, right? So he's saying that you've humbled thyself before God. You, you haven't just, you know, felt sorry down in your heart because I was messing up. You, you've took actions that have exhibited, he's rending his clothes, right? You've taken actions that are exhibiting your true, sincere repentance before God. And he acknowledged that. And you humbled yourself before me and rend thy clothes. Again, the external actions. And notice the result of this. The result of Josiah's sincere repentance here. You've rended your clothes and you weep before me. And he says, I even heard thee also, saith the Lord. What's the result of that? The Lord heard the prayer, right? And if we want our, our prayers to be heard on high, there has to be sincere repentance exhibited in our life, right? And again, where, where does revival start? It starts individually. And it all centers around the Word of God. This, is, th this book is not a preacher's book because it wasn't inspired that the preacher might be perfect and thoroughly first. It was inspired that the man of God... And the women of God would be thoroughly furnished. This is your book as the child of God. And when I, uh, a while back when I preached on the Articles of Faith in Macedonia, I really tried to get our folks to understand. Look, you need to make a personal commitment that all those we believes that are on the wall, they need to be I believes. Okay? And, and one of those I believes is that I believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, hopefully of the King James Version, that's in our Articles of Faith, it may not be specifically denoted in yours, but are the divinely inspired and preserved Word of God and my only rule of faith and practice. You need to make that personal commitment because until you do, you probably won't. Look at God's word and reach this level of sincere repentance. Okay? And this book is for your benefit. 
I cannot encourage and admonish you enough how important it is for every single child of God to be consistently and repetitively, not just reading, but studying the Word of God. You know, I have a daily Bible reading that's totally different from my, from my studies. But, but just recently, I was praying about something very specifically, and the Lord answers prayers primarily through the Word of God here today. And it was one of those examples that I was praying about a very specific thing. And in my daily Bible reading, I'm like three months behind. It's pitiful. And I, I shouldn't have even been in Habakkuk. I mean, I should have been in the New Testament. I, I, I shouldn't have even been where I was at. But in the midst of my daily Bible reading, me being three months behind, in Habakkuk chapter 2, the Lord just honed in and, and, and focused on, there. I think it's the fourth verse, the just shall live by his faith and, and a lot of other things. I mean, it was exactly, I'm confident, the exact answer to the prayer I was praying. And why did I get that answer? Because I, I have a, a habit, a routine of reading the word of God. And the Lord used that to give me the answer to the prayer that I was praying. And, and you are depriving yourself of that. If you do not have that, and guess what? You can be three months behind in your daily Bible reading, and the Lord's still going to answer, you know? But you need every single child. This is your book, okay? And you need to own it as your book and read it like your book because the Lord will give you guidance and a light to your feet, which is the Word of God, okay? All right, now... After he hears that, what's the first thing that he does? He goes and tells other people about it. Verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord and all of the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people great and small. And he read in their ears... All the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. Now, revival starts individually, but it should spread quickly. Why? Because it's it should be it should be a fervency. It should be a heat. And what does what does heat and fire do? It spreads quick. And let's just be honest for a minute, okay? We tell other people what we care about and what we love about. Well, we, we, the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, right? If you examine your speech, you talk about what you care about. You talk about what you love. And you tell other people about what you love. And Josiah, even in the negative sense, saw his and the people's shortcomings in the word of God and he knew he had to tell them about it. And that's in the negative sense. I mean, this is not even really a, a, a joyous, positive message. <laughs> but he had a desire to tell other people about what he had gleaned from the Word of God. And, you know, it's, it's a privilege for me uh, to, to study the Word of God. And I get, I get excited when the Lord shows me something on a Tuesday and, and I can't wait to, 
preach to my, I, I want, I care about my flock and, and I, I want to tell them about it yeah. on, on Sunday. Right. Now, now there's, there's, you know, some calibration there. You know, you, you got to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and every, you can't just, uh, you know, do that every single week. You got to calibrate that to a certain degree. But when the Lord shows you something, don't you naturally want to tell somebody else about that? Amen. And again, that's just our natures. Again, we, we talk about what we love. We, we talk about what we're excited about, what we care about. And Josiah was so, I don't think he was necessarily all excited about it. Because, I mean, what's the message? It's that, yeah, yeah it's going to be all right in my day. <laughs> but uh, the Lord's going to bring judgment. So it's not even like he's preaching the gospel, really. I mean, he's not even, I mean, we've got a good message, right? <laughs> uh, but he's saying judgment's coming, you know. But. He was so excited, if you let me use that word, about what he had what he had found in the Word of God. That he wanted to share it with someone else, and uh, and as a person that's called to preach the gospel, I I, I love that feeling <laughs> when uh, when I feel like the Lord's given me something and I, I want to preach it and tell tell somebody else about it. But again, that's not reserved just to the ministry, because this should be your book, right? This should be. You should be read, and I'll say this: if you read and study your word, you will find those gems Amen. in the Word of God. And if you and if you see them as as they are, if you see those gems, you're going to want to tell somebody else about it. Okay. Look, that's how revival starts. Amen. Okay, your individual repentance and and uh, submission to the authority of God's word, a desire to tell someone else about it. Okay, so. Then they made a commitment among themselves to hold themselves to the standard of God's word. Verse 31. The king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which he had written in the book. And he caused all that were present in, in Jerusalem and Benjamin, I like this language, to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God and the God of their fathers. One of the benefits, a lot of people don't see it as a benefit. But one of the benefits of the church is the accountability that we have one to another. Amen. And Josiah, and I'll also say, there is not going to be any sincere revival without a strong leadership figure that is stirring on other people too. And he says, he, he's saying, look, we gotta, we got to get right. And, and we are going to hold each other accountable to live according to the standard of God's word. And you are going to stand to it because I'm going to hold you accountable to stand to it. And a lot of people would say, oh, no, that's, not, that, that's a good thing. That, that's, that's a good thing for us to have brothers and sisters in Christ that call our hand when we're not living as we ought to. And again, that's a very important aspect of the revival that Josiah exhibits. And then he gets to the purging part. Verse 33, Josiah took away all the abominations out of the countries that pertained to the children of Israel and made all that were present in Jerusalem to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. You see, you see how this leadership authority figure is stirring on these, if you'll let me say, weak, uh, those that are weak in the faith, he, he's stirring them on 
And, and he says that he made all that were present in Israel to serve serve the Lord their God. And all his days they departed not from following the Lord, uh, the God of their fathers. And I'll also add, <coughs> you know, Hezekiah, when he was, was, was revived and, and, and blessed yeah, from his sickness, um, then he goes and he, he invites the Babylonians over and he shows them everything. And then the prophet goes and tells him, you shouldn't have done that. You're going to have all this stuff carried off in, in Babylon. But then they said, but, you know, it's not going to come to after you're gone. And what was Hezekiah's response to that? He says, well, at least there's going to be peace and prosperity in my day. <laughs> now, Josiah, he exhibited some, some repentance and that, and that was good. But the Lord told him, yeah, it's going to be good in your day. And... And it's going to get bad once you once you pass away. Does that not exhibit such integrity for him to make those changes instead of him just saying, "Well, you know, I'm glad it's all going to be kosher while I'm here. <laughs> Good luck uh, after I'm off the scene." No, he he made these changes for the benefit of other people who he knew were going to have to face the judgment of the Lord. Amen. Hezekiah's response was the exact opposite. Well, I can just kick back because at least it's going to be all good while I'm here. Isn't it interesting that that attitude, who followed him right after that? Manasseh. <laughs> I mean, it was Hezekiah's. I'm not, that's not a one-to-one correlation, but that attitude to a large degree, I think, allowed Manasseh to do what he did in, in bringing Israel back down. All right, so... That shows a lot of integrity by Josiah to actually make these changes, even though it was he already said it was going to be good again in his day, right? Now, the rest of uh, chapter 35 focuses on a renewal in the fervency of the worship of God. They institute a Passover, and the, another thing that they do is he reappoints the Levites to serve the Lord in the appropriate pattern and in their appropriate office in the house of God. In chapter 35 and in verse 2, he set the priest in their charges and encouraged them to the service of the house of the Lord and said unto the Levites that taught all Israel which were holy unto the Lord, put the ark in the house, etc., etc. So what did he do? He held the men that were previously charged with serving the Lord in his house accountable for them not fulfilling their obligations in the manner that they ought to. Did you, did you hear that ministry? Did you hear that, preachers? If, we, if we're praying for revival, a very important aspect of that is the people who are appointed his leadership positions to serve the Lord in his house, having a renewed zeal and fervency in fulfilling their office. Okay? And what did those Levites do? They got everything in order. And then you have them, the outpouring of offerings. You have the charitable givings of people's financial means. And it's not just the people. Josiah, again, he's the, he's the leader in this in verse I see you're in verse 7. Josiah gave to the people of the flock lambs and kids and all for Passover offerings that were present to the number of 30,000, 3,000 bullocks. They were all the king's substance. The uh, 
princes gave willingly unto the people, to the priests, the Levites, Hilkiah, uh, and Zechariah, the rulers of the people, gave unto the priests for the offerings 2,600 small cattle and 300 oxen. So those that are in leadership positions of authority among the Lord's people set the example by making offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. And not only did they do, not only did they make the personal sacrifice, what did Josiah do? He gave to the people so they could make sacrifice. You know, if you don't have a bullet, guess what? I'm going to give you a bullet so you can sacrifice that. You see, that's some impressive leadership. And leading by example in the offerings that they make. And they're reobserving the Passover and, and just exhibiting this, this fervency of worship. And I want you to, to notice the way that this is this Passover is uh, summarized. Here in verse 16, 2 Chronicles 35. So all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings unto the altar of the Lord according to the commandment of King Josiah. And the children of Israel that were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. And there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept. And the priest... And the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Another aspect of the renewal of the fervency of the worship is Josiah, when he had previously gathered together everybody, he, he gathered everybody in verse 30 of the 34th chapter, small and great. He gathered together everybody. That sounds a lot like... Family integrated worship yes. in the New Testament church. So that is another aspect of a recommitment to the proper manner of worship that God had prescribed, which in this time was the Mosaic law and the offering of the Passover. So arguably one of the most important aspects of authentic revival is a renewal in the fervency of of worship in spirit and in truth. There is, there is no revival without individual repentance, but that individual repentance should flow through to our worship services on Sunday and whatever other days that you meet to worship. A renewal in the fervency of worship to such a degree that during this time, he says, this Passover was like nothing we had ever seen before. From Samuel even to the end, this, this, the fervency of worship in this Passover was so sincere and authentic that they didn't, they never saw anything like it in Judah before or after. I tell you, that is what worship looks like in times of authentic revival. If you haven't read the accounts of Elder, Elder Wilson Thompson, and, and these revivals that he was a part of in Missouri and other places, particularly the one in Missouri. And he was a young man. By, he was at Josiah's age when he was doing that. Very young man. And he was saying, you know, it's great to have a worship, you know, weekend and, and 
and meet meet on a on a Friday or Saturday and a Sunday and praise the Lord and we go back about our regular business. But I'll tell you when when they, the Lord was adding at that time, he, the Lord was actually adding to them almost every single time that they met, and they were having worship services every night of the week. I mean, you want to talk about. You know, the revival tent meetings, you know, I mean, they were doing it not because we're just going to say, oh, we're going to do it. It was just an outpouring expression of what authentic revival looked like. Right. Is that not exactly what we see in the Acts of the Apostles? That authentic outpouring of worship and the desire to worship. Right. You know, this is a. I believe, a very good uh, example of some uh, identifying characteristics. Now, albeit it is in a Old Testament context, and there are some Levitical mosaic things that they did that don't apply to us, but, but the, the authentic nature of this revival, that the Holy Spirit itself indicates that there was nothing like it before or after, There, there was a renewal in the fervency of worship. But what did that boil down to? A recommitment to the Word of God. It is, I cannot emphasize how central and necessary the Word of God is to the church, just, just generally. But if we're praying for revival and you're not reading your Bible, then you're not following the prescribed pattern of God's Word. I don't know how to put it any nicer or plainer than that, <laughs> but but I mean, we the, the revival that we see exhibited in Josiah centered around a commitment to the authority of God's word, a personal commitment that spread to other people, that spread to a nation, and exhibited itself in a fervency of worship that they had never even seen before. And I know that we desire that. And I hope that we're praying for that. But there are some practical steps that have to occur for us to see the effect that Josiah saw in his day. Okay? And, and it all starts and ends, in my opinion, with the Word of God. Because this is the, even the personal conviction, even the individual repentance, it all stems back to you looking at God's word and him showing you you're not in compliance and you having that conviction to mortify those deeds. And I hope that we can be found trying to exhibit those actions. And I, I hope that I have the privilege of seeing and experiencing what that firsthand authentic revival feels and looks like. Amen. And I, it, you know, the Lord and the Holy Spirit, when he came down on the day of Pentecost, that Holy Spirit, he's just as flaming fire as he as.